This is the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames. Brought to you by Special Needs Family Hour, Inc. For the next hour, we'll be discussing the particular challenges and real-life solutions for families with special needs. If you found us, please know that you are not alone. To find out more, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here is your host, Julie Ames, on AM860, The Answer. Thanks for listening today to the Special Needs Family Hour. I'm Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. Our show is dedicated to helping those parents and caregivers who are caring for special people. The theme of the show is the essay, Welcome to Holland, by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Kingsley describes the experience of raising a child with a disability. It's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy, only to realize that your plane has landed in Holland. Holland isn't a bad place, it's just a different place. So you must go out, buy a new guidebook, learn a whole new language, and meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. Holland is a code word for living life with those with disabilities. My hope and prayer is that the challenges we all face in Holland will make us better people. It has been an interesting time in Holland for us. Our oldest two daughters, Marie and Christina, are on the autism spectrum and have intellectual disabilities. Our youngest daughter, Anna, is a typical teenager. My husband and I have gone through the guardianship process twice. The first time was with Maria. It seemed so odd for all of us to sit in front of a judge. We had our attorney, and Maria had her own state-appointed attorney. For me, there was a sense of sadness. We were acknowledging that Maria actually needed to have a guardian. Two years later, we did the same thing with Christina. Christina was 18 years old, but she looked like she was 10, and her speech made her sound so much younger. The judge asked Christina if she liked living with us. Her reply was, I don't know. (laughs) This is often a reply we hear from Christina, but we were a little surprised to hear it that day. I think we laughed. The judge smiled, and things continued. We have a great show today. Our guest is Emma Hemmes, our personal attorney for guardianship, special needs trust, and estate planning. She is a trusted advisor in her law practice. The Elder Law Office of Emma Hemmes, PA, was one of the first sponsors of this radio show. She will be explaining the process of becoming your child's guardian when your child turns 18 years old and why it is important to become your child's guardian. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. I am here with Emma Hemmes, Special Needs Lawyer. She is our attorney for guardianship, special needs trust, and estate planning. Today, we will be discussing becoming your child's guardian when your child turns 18 years old. A little bit about Emma. She is a state and nationally recognized expert in elder law. She is one of only 100 board-certified elder law attorneys in Florida. She was the 2011 Florida Elder Lawyer Attorney of the Year, 2017 Top 50 Women Lawyers in Florida, and 2017 Top 50 Attorneys in Tampa Bay and Top 100 Attorneys Statewide. 
Emma Hemmes is dedicated to serving the needs of persons with disabilities and their families as an integral part of her elder law practice. Emma is a member of the Special Needs Alliance, an imitation-only national organization of special needs trust attorneys. She has had the pleasure of serving as an ambassador of the Special Needs Alliance to both the Autism Society of America and the National Arc in recent years. Hi, Emma. Can you tell our audience a little bit about how you got involved with special needs and elder care? Well, as a um, a practicing attorney um, starting out, I had a number of questions in which people were um, coming to me for estate planning work, you know, your, your traditional wills, trusts, powers of attorney. And I kept getting questions about, well, what would happen if I got sick or I outlived my money? And so I kept realizing, or or I had um, other questions regarding like veterans benefits. I'm a veteran. What are my benefits while alive? And it kept, um, interestingly enough, it was just oriented about uh, lifetime questions of what happens while I'm alive. And so I started having to research all those questions. And I recognized that I was actually practicing elder law. And many of the same laws affecting older adults are of special relevance to persons with disabilities, whether they are children, young adults, or even seniors. So um, what I usually do is I advise families with uh, about the intricacies and navigating SSI with supplemental security income and Medicaid programs for persons with disabilities. This is a key area of practice in the field of elder law. And then families with special needs members are also um, – needing to develop specialized estate plans so that they understand that they put the appropriate legal documents in place because the parent does not want to be the one that might um, actually disrupt the uh, benefits of that special needs child later on in life when they're no longer around. So in addition, the other aspect of special needs trust, estate planning, we also are looking at guardian advocacy as a protection mechanism. Yes. Well, we we first met you, I think Jeff you were giving a presentation at where his mom was in assisted care, and that's when we first met you. And then I also took my mom to see you, and just over the time, I guess, and like you said, those questions all come up because we see you for one thing, and then we're concerned about the kids, and one thing led to another. And it's just a really peace of mind knowing that we've got everything covered, including guardianship. Well, certainly you and Jeff, um, as as a as a couple, a married couple, you um, ended up being in the sandwich, what I call the sandwich circumstance, yes. where you were dealing with the concerns of aging parents and being able to provide for their care or to pay for their care. And then you also had um, children that had special needs. And so then you were looking at um, that aspect of how do you protect them if something were to happen to you and Jeff. And so you were uh, what you were called the sandwich, <laughs> yes. the sandwich couple. <laughs> we were. Oh, yeah. And it was it was, a, it was really hard. I mean, I actually resigned from a lot of things that I was doing at that point in time. And um, But as you know, I was glad that you were there <laughs> to help us. So as a parent with it, a child who has a developmental disability, can you explain to our listeners why they would need to be a guardian? Well, when a child turns 18, and this is something that parents don't think about, um, they they have been a parent for 18 years. Um, but when a child turns 18, you have been taken out of that status of a parent and the decision-making that a parent ordinarily does for a minor child. So your child becomes a legal entity 
And when that occurs, your child has the same legal rights um, to make decisions for themselves as as you yourself do. So that means that your child can make decisions regarding their money. They can make decisions regarding their medical decisions. And so the law sees them as being actually capable of making their own decisions, even though nothing has changed from the day before their 18th birthday to the day of their 18th birthday. So guardian advocacy is a court process in which the parents are requesting the court assess the ability of your now adult child's capability to make good, sound decisions regarding important matters that affect their money, which we would fall into property rights, or their body, as in decisions regarding their medical treatment. So if the court hears enough evidence that your child is not capable of making decisions regarding their property rights or rights regarding their person, then the parent will be appointed as the legal decision maker. It is like a transfer of rights that are granted to the child simply because they turned 18. Those rights are being transferred to the parent who have always made those critical decisions for many years before turning right, 18. Right. So when you were saying um, can a, the court will assess whether or not a child can make good decisions, you talk about Christina saying, well, I don't know. You know so, <laughs> so I think the court had a pretty good idea that maybe, maybe decision-making was one of the things that was not in uh, Christina's forte. <laughs> yes, it was uh, pretty wild. And the weird thing, like you said about guardianship, Right before we got Maria's guardianship, she had turned 18, and she was having an asthma attack. And I ended up at the hospital with her, and they knew she was 18. They had her signing up, signing all the paperwork. And now, technically, that was ignorant on their part, and I couldn't have been held liable just because of her mental capacity or incapacity. But, oh, my goodness. I am so lucky that they didn't bar me from the room because they could have done that. Those are things that actually have occurred. You hear the um, parents that have children with special needs, and and they have never encountered that before, but they don't recognize that they have no no rights to make the decisions, including medical decisions or medical treatment or informed consent when that child is now 18. So you, you I mean, again, we have heard those nightmare stories where there are medical professionals who have taken a very hard stance with all the HIPAA regulations right. that they have actually had the parent leave the room. And then we have left with a child that has some developmental disability, not the best decision-making um, processes, and they are on their own. They're all by themselves. Yes, and it's amazing because I carry our guardianship papers around for both of them. Always. I have a copy in the car. I've got a copy in my purse because you never know when you're going to need it. And I, the pharmacy stopped talking to me. They went and leave messages about the girls. And first it started with Maria. And then when Christina turned 18, the same thing happened. So I kept um, running into that. And one of my challenges, and I'm sure you run into this. I have friends that say, well, I don't need a guardianship. I've got this. I've got that. And they'll say, well, my child is high-functioning. You know, should I just get a durable power of attorney or what should I do? 
Well, this is a common question, and I'm, and I think it's a very good question because with the higher functioning children, um, and when I say children, I, I mean the ones that young are adults. over the age young, young right. adults, and the ones that are over the age of eighteen. Uh, certainly, a durable power of attorney, since it's a legal document, it can be signed by any person who is over the age of eighteen and actually has the ability to understand the significance of what they're signing. So it shares what what is going on with a durable power of attorney. Being a legal document, it actually shares the ability to make all kinds of decisions with the person who's being appointed. So the important word here is sharing decisions. So right. with a durable power of attorney, the give or, okay, so that would be the adult child, um, is giving permission to the person being appointed to do the same thing he or she has the ability to do. But the person who is the giver of that those authorities is not stopped from doing whatever they want to do so that person is still retaining those rights they're just merely through this legal document durable power of attorney sharing those authorities so they can continue to make decisions regarding their money and decisions regarding their medical care or health care and if a child um, with a with uh, disabilities can understand the basics of the legal document and sign it it doesn't mean that that child has given away the ability to continue to make his or her own decisions. So this becomes a concern for a parent, and you you have actual experience. You know, if if Maria had signed a durable power of attorney, as a parent, you're sharing those decisions. Right. Maria still has those decisions. She would still have those same decisions to be able to make on a day-to-day basis, anything about her money, anything about her medical care. But... When a parent has an adult child making wrong decisions or perhaps falling under the influence of a person who convinces them to make wrong decisions, with a durable power of attorney signed, these concerns are not uh, not relieved, not alleviated, because the adult child still has the absolute freedom to do whatever he or she decides. So a durable power of attorney, simply put, is not going to keep an adult child from harming or injuring himself both medically or monetarily. Um, A parent simply will have to sit by and allow it to occur if the adult child wants it. Right. So basically what they've done by the durable power of attorney is they set up a situation for a tug of war. Essentially, (laughs) yes. And that, you know what, why don't we continue that conversation on the other side? We'll take a break and let's come back and continue talking about the durable power of attorney and maybe some of the disadvantages that are associated with that. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guest is Emma Hemmes, special needs lawyer. We are discussing the process of becoming your child's guardian when your child turns 18 years old. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860th Answer. I'm here with Emma Hemmes, special needs lawyer. We are discussing the process of becoming your child's guardian when your child turns 18 years old. 
Now, we have been discussing the durable power of attorney. Well, actually, that's not the right. The durable power of attorney, that is the correct phrase. Correct. Where you just have a document and it's signed. But we were just discussing sometimes that can become a tug of war with a child. Or as you think, you've got it all under control. And I have friends like that. And if I think if you have a docile child or one that's not extremely independent, but then I think of some of my my daughter's friends who are girl crazy, I mean, girl crazy or boy crazy. Oh, my gosh. I could see a child like that just falling in love and and getting in a tug of war, even though mentally they're just not quite there. Well, taking a step back as an elder law attorney and special needs lawyer, durable power of attorney, I think, is one of the most important documents you can possibly have. But even um, adult children that are dealing with their aging parents, what they have is an aging parent that may be suffering from signs of dementia. They can fall under somebody's undue influence. Um, They can be persuaded to marry. There's that old old little expression, a nurse or a purse, you know, um, an older gentleman is looking for a nurse or a purse, you know, and I'm not picking on older gentlemen because it goes goes, both ways. It goes both ways. And the the fact of the matter is, is that if you've got an aging parent who's starting to suffer from a, a cognitive decline because of the infirmities of aging, then a durable power of attorney, once again, is not going to prevent them from making decisions like running out and getting married, running out and giving away lots of money. So that same durable power of attorney is not going to protect a child that has turned 18 that has a developmental disability and maybe is lacking in an awareness of there's some bad people out there, the universe. The universe can be, you know full of bad people. So if a parent is looking at a durable power of attorney as a one-size-fits-all solution, it's not going to assist them because I want to go back and emphasize you're sharing the authorities with your uh, now adult child, a now legal legal adult decision maker on your hands. And so if you were making those decisions the day before they were 18 and you felt like maybe they were lacking in – good sense, common sense, street wiseness, um, then it's not going to be any different when they have turned 18. Yes. And that's what's interesting. Um, It doesn't, it doesn't so much affect my children, but as they get older and they get in the transition programs and they get in the vocational rehab, you may have children, you may have young adults that may have intellectual disabilities or developmental disabilities, but they are street smart. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole different gamut of um, minefields. <laughs> no, I, I understand that. And then with a durable power of attorney, one of the things that a parent will not have the right to control is the process of determining their social environment. Right. Uh, we had one very tragic set of circumstances in our office Uh, A beautiful young woman, uh, 19 years of age. The parents had not encountered any problems as yet, but suddenly she discovered that there were a number of typical boys that Mm -hmm. uh, were starting to show interest in her. And having been a little under the wing of the parents for so long, she certainly enjoyed the extra 
attention from the boys. And she did go out and she did socialize with these boys. And unfortunately, she got herself in some very uh, serious circumstances and was sexually assaulted during a party um, because of that. And the parents were actually powerless to say, no, my dear, you cannot go out and socialize with those boys. You know, under the circumstances, she liked the attention. She did not understand the actual circumstances. She did not understand the sexual assault. Um, You know, so so this was just all the nuances and and the ramifications of it. Exactly. And if the parents, and she was high-functioning, she appeared typical in nature. Yes. Yes. Well, that's an interesting subject because I do have, um, my daughters do have some, a couple friends that let's say they don't hang around with my girls anymore because of the intellectual differences, but I I could actually see them getting married one day, or wanting to go in that direction, and and that's a whole another minefield. But Lo, why don't we go to a, a, another question for you? What are some of the things a parent can do on behalf of their child if they obtain the court's order of guardian advocacy? Now, so what rights does that give me? What can I do, and what difference does it make? Well, we've been talking about and, and, you know, really stressing the limitations on a durable power of attorney if your child is high functioning enough to be able to understand it and put that legal document in place. However, parents, when they look at all the set of circumstances and just the example I just gave you, those parents were so distraught. They, you know, their child did not want to listen to them about making social decisions or who she socialized with. So they were seeking a guardian advocacy. And so they wanted the court's order of guardian advocacy. When when we look at our laws, our laws in the United States are phenomenal. I mean, they they actually protect all persons. They right. can protect the older folks who are starting to lose their abilities due to dementia. They protect our children with developmental disabilities. Before anyone, you know, we, we assume that we have our own civil rights. We have our rights to make our own decisions. So if a person, like for example, if a person is getting older and starts suffering from dementia, it requires in a court process of guardianship, it requires a whole process of evaluation to make sure, to ensure that this older person's rights can be removed or some portion of them to be removed to be in their best interest and say to protect the older person from for example, uh, financial exploitation, or maybe they're not taking care of themselves and living in squander in their own home, you know, that those are some of the things that come up. So one just, you know, we just can't just go in and and take away a person's civil rights without a legal process, a legal process called due process. And it's carefully followed. So when a parent goes to the court to ask for a guardian advocacy, for the intellectual or development, you know, because, uh, of 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 the adult child, that right. first must be proven by the court. I think you had your own, you know, you had your own experience. You went right. in; it was a very formal process. Yes. You went in before the judge. It was a very, um, you know, serious process. And the court had carefully examined your petition. The court had carefully examined your and Jeff's application. And you were even put under oath in front of the judge to testify. Right. And Maria's attorney even came to our house and met with Maria and (laughs) 
talk to her. So it, it's amazing how well represented everyone is in our court system yep. with our rights. The child uh, definitely has in this in this process has an attorney advocate, and they're appointed by the court to make sure that the child's position of possibly keeping some portion of their rights is is actually being you know considered by the court. So when we talk about those rights, we are talking about um, either the category of property rights or right. personal rights. So property right, for example, is a right to contract. Um, when I say that, I say, uh, let me give you an example. So mm-hmm. if you don't want your adult child to sign up for a credit card and go charge up thousands of dollars, the parent will want to make sure that they have assumed this decision-making ability right. and remove the right to contract as being left in the child's authority. Yes. Because if the child has the authority, the child absolutely is entitled to that credit card and is entitled to purchase, uh, uh, you know, whatever right. they decide to purchase on that credit card, and they're responsible for it. Yes. Well, I heard of a friend, um, uh, one of their kid's friends had bought a car. Yes. But they had. if you have guardianship and the child goes out, buys a car because they're dealing with a, um, <laughs> not an honest, Right. Salesman, they buy a car, you can get them out of that because you're the guardian and they didn't have the right to make that decision. They did not have the legal decision. Mm-hmm. So some parents um, are definitely looking at that right and asking the court, please allow me to have that right. And the court is evaluating in that process with the attorney representing the child saying, yes, it makes sense that that right actually be removed, not shared, but right. removed and then vested in the parent's Authority. So we see the same thing when a child is making um, decisions regarding his or her own physical well-being. I just told you about that that unfortunate case, um, the tragic case of that right. young lady. So that would also be something that the parents really want to consider. Should we 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 be actually removing the right to make? the social setting, you know, running with the wrong crowd or getting hurt because they're too trusting. Those are the big key rights, rights to contract, which is rights over money or right to, you know, enter into um, a a credit card situation. And then the right to make uh, decisions regarding our own body of the body of the child. Right, right. Well, you know what? Why don't we take a break there and then continue this conversation about um, what we're allowed to do as a guardian of our child. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest is Emma Hemis, special needs lawyer. We are discussing the process of becoming your child's guardian when your child turns 18 years old. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. I'm here with Emma Hemis, special needs lawyer. We are discussing the process of becoming your child's guardian when your child turns 18 years old. Um, Emma, can you explain to our listeners what to anticipate in the court process, and do they need an attorney to go through the whole court process for guardianship? 
Well, let me ask you a question, a personal question then. Were you and Jeff somewhat concerned about that core process and what it would involve? We were extremely concerned about what that process would involve, and I can't imagine trying to go through the whole process without an attorney. As an engineer, I'm pretty sure you probably did your research ahead of time and looked up some of the things that would... And here's the thing, as an engineer, we always check, whether it's real estate, whether it's attorney... Jeffrey's reading through everything, and it's just hard to even understand it and make sure you understand it. It's just difficult. And that's after, like, for instance, the guardianship papers and all the work. You've already done all the work. It's just trying to make sure we understand it all. Well, I usually like to say that the Internet, uh, the Internet is both a blessing and a curse. And the reason why it's a blessing is because you can find so much information out there. I mean, you can find information about everything. Right. And that same aspect of all this information is also a curse because when right. someone sees all that information, gathers that information, they don't know which pieces of this information to actually apply towards their specific circumstances. Correct. So in that aspect, the court process can be very daunting to an individual. You might be able to understand it or read about it, but there are issues associated with navigating. So the the question about whether, you know, you need an attorney to go through this court process of guardian advocacy, that's a good question. That's a right. really good question because some parents are understanding that the law has evolved enough where they can they can go through the uh, navigate the legal process themselves uh, under limited circumstances that is, but um, mm-hmm. just because the parents have heard that the law allows them to go to court without a trained lawyer by their side, it doesn't mean that they have the abilities to um, realistically navigate that process effectively or sufficiently. In fact, well, it was very. In- intimidating <laughs> well you know we found our parking place when we showed up with maria it wasn't as intimidating with christina but still you know you find your parking place you go through security then you end up upstairs somewhere in some judge's chamber and it's just it's 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 it is yes it, that very intimidating alone, yes that just and, the formality of it and that's not even the legal documents mm-hmm. And from a substantive standpoint so i'm just talking about you know a parent may not foresee some of the challenges that they may have as their adult child matures. They may fail to ask for certain rights of the court um, to be removed. And so if they find themselves in the future without the ability to make, for instance, they didn't ask for the right of, of medical decisions to be um, empowered in themselves, right. if they didn't know to ask the court for this permission in the initial process, then they are without those rights. Those right. rights have not been bestowed upon them in that guardianship process. So the court, because you didn't know to ask for the court for something you didn't know to ask, it's it's that typical example right. of you don't know what you do not know. Um, that's that's the whole aspect of, of going it alone. Right, right. Well, and that's the other thing when you talk about the Internet is Florida has its own laws, and we're very lucky because we do have the guardian advocacy process here in Florida, where other states is more complicated. But again, on the internet, you don't know that you're getting the specific information you need. Certainly. 
And other parents, you know, there are a number of parents that may begin the process. This is my um, understanding is that some parents do begin the process without legal counsel, but then somewhere in the path they they get overwhelmed, um, they get confused with the amount of paperwork involved in it, and, you know, it comes from how do I fill out the paperwork, um, do, what what are what does this mean? You know, questions regarding right. the paperwork. Right. How does that apply to me? If if a parent actually gets the paperwork but completes it inaccurately and files it with the court, the court is very lenient. The very court is very kind under the circumstances, but the court is going to have no choice but to require the parent to go back and start all over again. So if you have a child with special needs and you're just dealing with the day-to-day of making sure that child is is getting through the day and that alone has its own stressors, is it something that you really want to add to your, uh, you know, your your plate to to take on the challenge of having to navigate that um, process by yourself? Yes. Well, talking about the complications and just, for instance, in our house. I handle all the medical, just me. It's just complicated, and Jeff handles everything else because our medical is just so complicated, and I can only imagine trying to have navigated this process by myself. Well, that's why when an individual is is contemplating, and I mean a parent is contemplating uh, that court process of guardian advocacy, you're going to be looking for a special needs lawyer who has years of experience in this area and can be there to make sure that the parent is making the right choices rather than, you know, maybe forging ahead without the assistance of a legally trained professional. Um, a special needs lawyer is going to have um, special training in that area to be able to discuss, you know, you may encounter this, you may encounter this in the future, is, is you know, ask questions, give and take, um, what are the the specific attributes of your child? Where do they? Where are their strengths? Where are their weaknesses? Do you think that they would fall under undue influence? Do you think they could be persuaded to do something um, that wouldn't be in their best interest because right. they're too innocent or too trusting? Right. Any of those things. If you don't know what rights to make sure that you have, then you may fail to ask the court for those rights. Yes, and I remember Jeff and Jeffrey and I sitting down and thoughtfully going through those rights and debating each point of which rights to keep and which rights to give up. And it's interesting because there are a number of rights. There are the rights that are actually removable or transferable. I like to call it transferable because we take them from the child, we remove them from the adult child, and then we delegate them to the parent. So those are the rights that a parent can actually exercise that the child has transferred. I like to use that right. terminology because removal sometimes is is a harsh word. But we're right. actually, you know, we're doing this for the best interest of the child. So right. we're transferring certain rights, and then there are certain rights that are not to be vested in a parent that the child has. And that would be like the right to vote or right. the right to marry, but... We can ask the court that on the basis of, of what the court um, understands is a totality of the circumstances 
should this child still retain those rights? We can't delegate them to the parent, but you're, the parent is also looking into the future with the guidance of a special needs lawyer saying, right. is this going to be something that we want the child to retain? Right, right. So that makes perfect sense to me because with us, you know, the social rights and the voting and all that, that makes sense. Um as far as the transfer, I guess there were five or six rights that we could choose from. There were to- there are six that are delegable. So they three and three they fall into rights of over the person, over the body, and that would be where we would right. find more of the medical decision, right? And the social, the right to make social decisions, social environment, and then we have the property rights and think property meaning money, a right to contract, right to sue and defend lawsuits, the right to apply for government assistance benefits. So we're thinking money and the right to uh, uh, handle our money or to get money. That would be the property rights. Correct. And what's interesting here is maybe I shouldn't bring this up, but but as a guardianship, um, there's one right that would cause, as far as legal Legally, when it comes to your child, you would have to have court order anything above the neck or below the waist, correct? Right, exactly. And I don't know. I bring that up because when people hear guardianship, it doesn't include everything. Guardianship is back to those transferable rights. It doesn't mean you have complete control over another person. And we don't want complete control. No. That's not why why this process exists. No, it is not. Yeah, so I just wanted to make sure, I mean, that seems like an extreme thing to say, but I want to make sure people understand that. And and we, again, contrast it to the limitations on a durable power of attorney where they're sharing only those rights and those decisions, but right. they're not, if, if you have a child that you know that you, they have a need to be protected from somebody's undue influence or they're too trusting out there in, in the world, right. um, then we're not accomplishing it just merely as a dura- through a durable power of attorney legal document. We really do need that court process and right. that guardian advocacy. Right, right. That makes perfect sense. Um, why don't we take a break? I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. Our guest is Emma Hemmes, Special Needs Lawyer, We are discussing the process of becoming your child's guardian when your child turns 18 years old. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM860, The Answer. I'm here with Emma Hemmes, Special Needs Lawyer. We are discussing the process of becoming your child's guardian when your child turns 18 years old. Now, Emma, we were just talking over the break. You were just at court yesterday during a guardianship. Can you explain to them what that's like? Yeah. It's, it's been three years since I've done this. <laughs> I understand that. And so we were talking about, you know, what to anticipate in the court process and whether or not a special needs lawyer is necessary. And, and I mentioned that, you know, the law says that a parent can go it alone, but 
do you know? I look at a special needs lawyer as being a part of your legal team. Is yes. it, if you go to court by yourself, I would have to say that you're kind of going to play a game of football without having a quarterback, so to speak. Right. Right. Um, and a special needs lawyer with training will will be able to guide you through that process. Now, yesterday I was in court, and I, you know, the your what to anticipate is the parent is placed under oath. Um, The court asks you, the judge asks a number of questions, and it's one of those things ahead of time that I'm I'm preparing the the parent ahead of time. I explain, don't worry about it. It's a very formal process. It can be rather intimidating, but the judge is going to ask you these questions. He'll turn it over to me to follow up with you and to have you testify, but we're actually, he'll put you under oath. You're on record, so everything is being audio recorded, um, and and then you will be literally testifying. And right. the court has already looked at your application, looked at your petition. The court has looked at the doctor's report that, that has right. been presented to the court as to establish a developmental disability. And the court is, is going to be evaluating you as a... Um, a, a worthy individual to have your child's rights. So you want an advocate in on your side to be yes. able to explain to the court or ask you the right questions to explain right. to the court. You're the you're the best person to be your child's guardian. Yes, and of course your child is going to have their attorney, <laughs> which is so. I mean. It's good. It's just so strange to me. It's it's our it's our due process system. I but know, no, it's good. It's just it's just weird. It would be weird for me for my child to have an attorney and for me not to have an attorney. That's just would be very odd. And of course, once your guardianship, we do the annual plan every year, and it's easy to do. And I guess the attorneys, I still have you do that with me. Right. And the annual plan is, is as I explained, we, we leave the courtroom and, and the, the parent yesterday, her head was just spinning, um, just saying, what, what, what was all that stuff he was saying? I, I got to do this in 60 days, but I don't have to do that. But he waved something. Um, what was that? What, you know, and so it was, it just is so much. And so um, essentially I just explained to her, I said, now the plan that you need to do, just think of it as, the court just wants to hear from you every so often, um, that right. periodically, to say, hey, I'm still taking care of this person. The court right. wants to know that you're still going, being good people over your adult child. So the plan is not talking about money because most right. of the time SSI is our only benefit. Right. But we're talking about are you actually you know, keeping, you know, doing good things for the child, right. maintaining a residence or, or or assisting them with social decision making and and those types of things. Yes. Are you doing the right thing? Yes. Well, every year they want, they want a doctor's report. Mm-hmm. They just want it signed by their primary physician. They want to know um, where they're living, who they're living with. They also want to know what doctor's appointments and what their medical plan are is. Are you maintaining them? Yes. So, and I always put the dates down and all that. And you're sure they're safe, secure, healthy. Yes. And then they always want to know social, like, what are you doing for them? I, they want to make sure that they're not, I don't know, locked in their room and they're not doing anything. Precisely. So so I'm writing things about buddy baseball, special Olympics Mm -hmm. and all the great things they're doing, what they do in their spare time. It's not difficult to do, but if you 
turned in a plan that was very similar to the one last year, you know, the court would actually reject it. Yes, Um, I I had that happen. (laughs) (laughs) I did that one year. It is. It's kind of that's why that's why you learn nuances. Yes, it was weird because it wasn't completely rejected. It was just that it needs to be different the following Mm -hmm. year. I'm like, okay, but nothing much had changed. So, but did you have anything you want to add? Make sure you tell people where to contact you. Well, you can contact me at um, our law office. It's in Brandon. It's been there for nearly 20 years. That means um, I must have started it when I was the age of eight. Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) Anyway, um, so we're located in Brandon. Um, You can find us uh, a lot of information on www.hemnesslaw.com, H-E-M-N-E-S-S law.com. Yes, and it's a great website. Thank you so much for being here, Emma, and thank you so much for being our attorney. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. Please join us next Sunday afternoon at 1. Thank you for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can get the podcast of this and every show at specialneedsfamilyhour.com. While there, please take advantage of the resources we've made available. And if you're so inclined, please support the advertisers that support this program. Special Needs Family Hour, Inc. is a nonprofit 501c3 organization. More than anything, just know that you are not alone. And we invite you to join us next Sunday at 1, only on AM 860. The Answer.